Alrighty, then here we go. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Nothing to Fear, a weekly horror movies podcast hosted by three human beings. And my name is <laughs> Billy Schultz. We are human beings. There's any any stories that you hear to the contrary are exaggerations, and I just like to put a put a damper on any of those myths that we are not humans. We are in fact superhumans. I mean, just regular <laughs> humans, not superpowered at all. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, my name is Billy Schultz, and I'm getting steadily worse at the introduction every single week. But I am joined, as always, by two of my most amazing friends, Alex Wan and Luke Mason. Alex, how are you doing today? I have super strength and super speed, and I can see as far as the horizon. Wow. Yeah. Those are my powers. I have supervision, but it's less powers of sight and more of just like being able to supervise Hmm. kids. (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. Luke, how are you today? Good. I have the powers of superfluity and superciliousness, so... Ah. I hope that those I can use those unnecessarily and aggressively. <laughs> Wonderful. With, with, and... with the with the right amount of redundancy and arrogance. <laughs> Let's hope so. Now, I feel like I might have taken the listeners down a little misleading path because we are absolutely not talking about any sort of super superhero horror movie this week so i don't know why i went with that bit but that's okay because non sequiturs are my stock in trade and so this week we are talking Mm. all about the 2008 movie the strangers which is a creepy like isolation murdery people in the woods i think type of movie i haven't seen it but i remember being very scared by the trailer when i was growing up but what do you all know about it luke what do you know about this one well isn't it a prequel with a young joyce and young hopper the strangers things. <laughs> oh. <laughs> no, yeah. I actually have seen this movie before, but it was like right around when it came out. So it's probably been at least 10 years since I, I've seen it. So, and I've mm-hmm. only seen it once. So I remember the main thrust and I remember a couple scenes, but there's a few parts I don't remember. So it'll be, I'm looking forward to it. I remember liking it or at least not being reviled. So already in the upper echelon or upper half of horror films I've seen in my life. <laughs> but I also, I don't want to talk about it too much now, but I have a theory or a hypothesis that this movie has an element of horror that we, I don't know if we've seen yet in any of the other movies we've done. Maybe, maybe one of you two will will be able to like, when I explicate it, we'll be able to say, oh, that was kind of like that movie too. But it's not immediately oh, coming maybe. to my mind. Mm-hmm. So I don't want to talk about it now, but just my memory of the film, I think that there is a, an element of the psychological horror of this film that will be interesting to talk about, even if the movie isn't great. So yeah, I'll leave it at that. Awesome. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm excited to, to think about it. But I have a question for you, Luke. Mm. Do you think that in the prequel to Stranger Things, they fight the proto-Gorgon or the like version 1.0 Gorgon? <laughs> I think that in the prequel, what would happen is that there would we would we would witness the birth of the upside down, and there would be a character birthing mm. the upside down that gets defeated, but the upside ah, down okay. itself is now instantiated in the in the shadow world. So that would be my that's that's like the broad strokes of how I'd write that prequel. Is it like a physical birth? 
because like <laughs> the upside down is quite large so it's quite a big one some poor i don't know things poor uterus is probably very very <laughs> manipulated in awful ways what yes i would i would i would absolutely make sure to have this entire realm be birthed mammalian style <laughs> <laughs> Look, as long as there's pod racing, then it's a prequel after my heart. Alex, <laughs> what do you know about the Strangers? <laughs> so I believe it was season four or five of Scrubs where Turk and Carla are trying to conceive and have a baby, but they're just not able to. So Turk <laughs> unwillingly goes to the clinic to, you know, get his sperm tested to see if he's fertile. Okay. And he goes to the clinic and JD's there with him and, you know, he can't actually... He's like, he's telling JD, you know, I can't do this. Like, you know, I can't do this. And JD's like, just do what I do. Sit on your arm till it falls asleep. Then take care of yourself. Uh, I call it the stranger. Mm, yes. Yeah. In terms of this movie, The Strangers, <laughs> I have seen Sit on it both before. arms. It was a... <laughs> I've seen it before. It's been a while as well, so I don't really remember too too much about it. I I do remember being very creeped out. This is a very I guess we'll t- we'll talk about it more afterwards because I don't really want to spoil it. But mm-hmm. it is possibly one of the most creepy movies I've ever seen because of you know the context of everything in in the film. Yeah, it's it's I th- I thought it was enjoyable, but it, it has been a while, so I don't really remember too much about it. I do know Liv Tyler's in it, so, you know, mm. shout out to Arwen. And, yeah, looking forward to watching it again. Nice. I have, uh, so I'm in the minority. I have not watched this movie. I remember the trailers around the time when it came out and just it giving me such a sense of, like, terror and dread that I was, you know, in the deepest depths of my, like, I can't watch horror movies because they're way too scary. And I was, like so freaked out about the premise of this movie, especially because I I seem to think that it involves some sort of isolation in the woods, like a cabin. And then there's like things that happen to the people that live in that cabin. And I regularly, multiple times a year, go to a cabin slash lake house that is very isolated and very far away from every, everything. And one of my deepest fears is looking out across a field and just seeing like a silhouette of somebody standing there. And so I don't know. I feel like this one could be could be one where I have something to fear, even though it be just a movie. <laughs> and yes. I'm I'm like not looking forward to being scared, but at the same time, I kind of am because getting that those sort of feedback from watching all these horror movies, and this is now episode forty one, so officially we can no longer do a top forty list of uh, nothing to fear and just have everything in there we have to start mm. picking and choosing things to go away army i choose darkness. army of darkness yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah but i like i know that the the point of the movie is to like be creepy and be tension building and be really scary so i'm like excited to get into it and dive into it in that way but i'm also not super like i hope that the post movie discussion that we have is one where i can like have that sort of ersatz therapy and you know exercise the demons a little bit so i'm not like the next time i'm up at the lake just being like well fuck i guess i'm not sleeping tonight <laughs> because well, you know this movie stressful. can be like a survival guide for you right like you can any bad things that happen to any of the characters in this movie just do the exact opposite 
Yeah. Oh, when perfect. you're up at the lake house. Okay. Yeah. Great. You know what? Billy, I can't promise therapy, but I promise lots and lots of ersatz. <laughs> that can that's, be guaranteed. Okay, so you're not a professional. You're not yeah. a professional. But we'll give you lots Just and lots of the amateur <laughs> the amateur nothing. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I, I can be like, so Billy, I saw on Reddit this one time, and then I'll fill you in. <laughs> oh, no. Reddit therapy. Ugh. Question. If yes. you fail Reddit, did you blew it? Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. So good. And then we just, the sound cuts out and that's the end of the show forever. That's all you get, everybody. Mm-hmm. No, no, no. That that one, that one hasn't stopped us before and it's not going to stop us now. But we are going to go in and watch this movie. We are going to spoil it once the trailer hits. So that is your warning, dear listener. If you wish to remain unspoilt, don't listen past the trailer. And watch this movie and then come back and listen to the rest of it. It's how we record this podcast so you can get the the actual experience of nothing to fear by following that one easy step. Anyway, you can also check out DoesTheDogDie.com for any triggering or upsetting moments in the film if you wish to go in so armed. And otherwise, we'll catch you in a minute. I just want to tell you something. What do you want to tell me? You are my girl. I love you, Jimmy. What is that? It's okay, there's nothing here. I haven't heard a dog bark or a car pass. Nothing. is a 2000 okay (laughs) the strangers is a 2008 american psychological horror film written and directed by brian bertino the plot follows Kristen, Liv tyler and james scott speedman whose stay at a vacation home is disrupted by three mass criminals who infiltrate the home that's yep that's it (laughs) that's basically the synopsis and also the entire plot of the movie the Mm -hmm. they go to a cabin in the woods and scary things happen yeah, what a weird cabin. You know what was weird about that cabin? It was so isolated, like there was no other cabins around, but it felt like it was like developed land because there were like street 
like street lamps and power lines and all that it was like are you telling me there's really nothing because if it was like a really secluded cabin they would have their own generator there wouldn't be like phone reception Mm. right it was like you know what what's the most like unbelievable place that we could actually set this movie in and it's like a cabin that's isolated but has everything (laughs) that a town would have but also apparently a five-hour drive to get cigarettes or whatever although i guess yeah could this movie have been i mean there was some time jumps but could this this movie could have essentially been like a real-time movie i think it was 85 minutes long or 80-ish minutes long was the runtime and it could have very easily been like you know a 24 style where it's just like this is real Mm -hmm. time yeah if they wanted to i mean like the first there, there was a little bit of concept of time so right at the start of the movie when the first knock happens it's like 405 in the morning and they were at a wedding beforehand so let's say they left at the latest part of the wedding which would be like what what's the latest people stay at a wedding like 1 32 i think so past that point people start getting messy usually yeah well but yeah how do we like this movie alex how did you like it yeah just as creepy and as the first time I watched it, and I think so. What I what I was gonna say at the very start is that like the 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 thing that makes this the creepiest is that there's nothing, I guess, supernaturally implied in this movie, right? It's just the the, the strangers, those three masked people, seem to just be regular humans. Like they they don't have any superpowers. I mean, the, like I saw that you put in the chat. They they went to the Michael Myers school of like how to get around silently <laughs> sneaking around. So that was like a little bit. Yeah, that was a little bit un- unbelievable, but at the end of the day, like, these are just regular humans, and, you know, they were able to commit this crime, and they seemingly had no real motivation. Like, you find out their motivation at the very end mm-hmm. with that one line. I wonder if that actress who delivered that line had to, like, do multiple takes. Because it was, like, a big part to memorize, I'm sure. <laughs> Her part. <laughs> yeah lots of lots of dialogue lots of dialogue lots of yeah lots of pacing but but before Mm -hmm. i talk about how i liked it i want to hear luke how how did you like this viewing oh man i feel like i have so much to say about this film that i'm trying to attenuate the one or two most important things to bring out now because i'm just like i'm going off on so many tangents mentally of what to say Mm. i think i like this movie And I like it more than I did when I first watched it. And I think it's because I just kind of think differently than I did when I first watched this film. And I like this movie more having it be episode 41 in a podcast about horror movies. For sure. And so I'm going to... Basically, there's two, two elements to this film that I think make it quite compelling to us, the audience. And one of them is, I, I would say, arguably, this is the most realistic film we've done so far in yep. our run. Like, it's just people and it's just psychopaths. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. just, it's just like at the beginning of this film when it said this is inspired by true events. Like, even if that's not real, it might as well be, right? There's mm-hmm. like lots of stories that are similar enough to this kind of story to be compelling in like oh my gosh this could happen to anyone so that's the first part is that i think it's quite realistic as a horror film 
And the second part is that line that you referenced, Alex, because there's a few times throughout the film where Kristen, Liv Tyler's character, says, oh, what do they want? What are they doing? And the payoff line at the end is, why are you doing this to us? And then the the blonde one, I guess, says, well, you were home. Mm-hmm. And I think this is an element of what I'm going to label. I'm sure it's been called this before, but this is an existential horror film. This is a... Our brains crave pattern and meaning and and an answer to something. And the and this is something I've actually talked a lot about on my other podcast because we talk a lot about psychology and stuff like that. The most intolerable answer for something in the world is random and no meaning. We'd, we, we invent bad answers instead of no answers kind of thing right. to, to, to explain what's happening. And so the idea for Kristen and James in this film sitting in that chair – that they're about to be killed for no better reason than they happened to be in a house that James' family owns is a fucking intolerable existential answer. And so we're left bereft of, oh my gosh, this could, this, this, I'm dying for nothing. And mm-hmm. as you both know, I'm a big fan of Camus the philosopher and I love philosophy. And so this is Camus, the absurd, like our, our minds crave meaning in a meaningless universe. How do we reconcile this kind of phenomenon? And that's kind of why I'm like, this to me is a unique horror film because I think it also dabbles in existential horror, not just mm. survival horror. So that would oh, be my opening salvo. That's exciting. I want to, I definitely want to dive into that a lot more, but I will give my sort of overview like or dislike mm. and then i have i do have a i broke the rule of our podcast i'm sorry i did some research while this while this movie ah! was on <laughs> i know i know uh <laughs> i'll dock my pay but i i like this movie i've heard it's the i guess the the myth of this story has grown in the telling as it were like when it came out in 08 i was really freaked out by the trailers and then anytime i've like brushed up against this movie it has been with people saying that this movie is really tense and really scary and it like it leaves you with questions that you can't answer and that's really frustrating and it just sort of grew it in my mind to being this like really scary thing so i was really really primed to be scared and this movie like delivers on the scares in a huge way Mm -hmm. up until probably the like last 10 minutes there was a couple like jump scares right at the very end so we're, we're gonna go into it we're gonna spoilers but mm-hmm. the, the when she's hiding in the kitchen i got a big jump scare when the like blonde math girl like came in after the, the the burlap sack man was just sort of sitting and chilling out that was a huge scare but then when he like tackled her as she tried to leave the bedroom later on that wasn't scary at all i was like of course that's gonna happen like at that point I should have expected it like a couple jump scares earlier, but for some reason it was just like there was a breaking point, uh, like a very watershed moment where like the jump scares got me and then they stopped getting me. I was like, okay, I am, you know, maybe that switch has been desensitized, but we can get into that a little bit later too, because I wanted to talk about the very opening about the inspired Mm. by true events. And the, to my knowledge, the only other one that we've seen that is like explicitly based on true events or inspired by true events was Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I know there was like stories around Black Christmas, but Texas Chainsaw Massacre had like an opening crawl almost where it was like, here's yeah. like a horrible thing. And this one had like a voiceover. It gives us the names of what happens in 2005 and the FBI still doesn't know what happened. And so 
did did that opening prime you to be more scared of this movie because it's at that rather it just being like an explicit fiction i would say no because i never like anything can be inspired by true events you know um i i take i take the word inspired with a grain of salt like lord of the rings was inspired by real events it was inspired by when tolkien was in the trenches in world war one right <laughs> like i i take that term very right, loosely okay. so no like any kind of those opening crawls that like or like voiceovers that say this was inspired by true events i i don't care for that at all mm. um that's to say I didn't find that's to say that I didn't find this movie scary. I did find this movie scary, but I don't think that adds to it for me. Yeah, so that's that's my take on that. Okay. What about you, Luke? Do you think it changed it at all? I don't know because I'm like in direct comparison to Texas Chainsaw Massacre. When I read that about Texas Chainsaw Massacre, I was immediately like, "Oh, wow, really? This is such a unique kind of story that I would want to read more about. Like, I'm interested in the potential true storyness of mm. Texas Chainsaw Massacre, right? But this one, two people are killed in the rural area with a knife. Okay, like that, even if this is a pure work of fiction, it's still more realistic than any real-life-inspired Texas Chainsaw Massacre could be on the surface of things, right? So the kind of... I'm going to probably keep using this, like the psychopathy of the killers in this film is part of the horror. And even if this story is 100% made up, there are people like that in the world. And right. one point, I think the stat they used was like 1.4 million people are victims of violent crimes in the United States every year or something like that. And there's going to be a non-zero number of people killed in their house by strangers like it might right. not be a big number but it's yeah. not an it's not a zero either and so it's almost a little bit like a red herring i guess mm, okay yeah for me like it, it sparked me to do some quick asking of jeeves on my phone while the while the opening of the movie started to see if it like what the true events was and i found an article from the website Pop Sugar, we're citing our sources here from March 11th, 2018, by Ryan Roschke. So there you go, Ryan, the, the best <laughs> there ever was. And so I'm going to quote from the article here because they talk about the inspired by true events thing. Uh, let me find it here. Okay, so according to the film's production notes, The Strangers was based on an experience by the director Brian Bertino. No, sorry. The Strangers was based on an experience the director, Brian Bertino, had when he was young. Quote, As a kid, I lived in a house on a street in the middle of nowhere. One night, while our parents mm. were out, somebody knocked on the front door and my little sister answered it, Bertino recounted. At the door were some people asking for somebody that didn't live there. We later found out that these people were knocking on doors in the area and, if no one was home, breaking into the houses. End quote. So, really, this is the, the article continues... So really the only thing the story shared with reality was that a group of strangers knocked on a door and asked for somebody who wasn't there and then made a decision based on that. So that's mm. like when I read that, I was like, OK, so it's not like, yeah, you're right, Lucas. There is a non-zero chance that a stranger broke into someone's house and killed them with a knife. But this didn't like it doesn't seem like yeah. it's drawing from like case five, nine, seven, three or whatever of the FBI. Sure. Yeah. Well, and it's a movie. It's more dramatized mm. than probably it would be in real life. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So uh, one other that. thing to add that I just thought about. 
and I can't believe I, I'm going to be, I sound so stupid to myself here, but, um, so I think in the late forties or early fifties, the philosopher I already referenced, Albert Camus wrote a short novel, but a novel about a guy who kills somebody else for no reason. He just can't like, it's just like the reason given in the book is like the sand was hot enough at this moment for him to snap, you know, like it's just, (laughs) it's a total like murder based on no motive. Which is right. kind of like spontaneous yeah, murder, murderation. Yeah, which was something the existentialists, that kind of thing they're writing about in the post World War II area, especially the French ones, right? Okay. Guess what that novel was called? It was called The Person Who Murdered Someone for No Reason. <laughs> the novel was called The Stranger. Oh. <laughs> so I don't know, but because this is a written and directed, again, creative mm. freedom. I would be very surprised if, given that so many of the themes of this film are very much of Camus' philosophy, and it's just one letter different from one of Camus' most famous novels. <laughs> well, yeah, Brian Bertino was like, if I multiply this novel by three, it'll be three <laughs> times better. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe Camus, maybe we'll get some Camus in season four of Stranger Things when we do the prequel. <laughs> <laughs> That, no, that's cool. I mean, I think 100% of the philosophy content of Nothing to Fear is provided by you. So thank you so much for that. I'm sure our listeners enjoy it as well. That's not but... true. That's not true. <laughs> well, okay. It's a... 79%, yeah, 79% of it is. Of it is. <laughs> it's a non-zero percentage. <laughs> Uh, yeah, this movie scared me though. This this movie when it opened up, all the like the banging and the the slow build of tension really really creeped me out. And I like the fact that they played with time right at the start. You know, we got the we got like a shot of the aftermath. So we kind of have seen there's like there's a shotgun lying on the counter and a big blood stain on the wall and a bloody knife and a bunch of like broken stuff. There's like a big hole in the windshield and you're left with like, is this the previous crime they did? Or are we seeing into the future? And we know it's going to be like a bad news bear situation for James and Kristen or, or not. Then they did like, as someone that hasn't seen this before, did you think that James and Kristen were surviving to the end? I was pretty sure that not both of them would survive for sure. I, I thought maybe there'd be one of them who could escape and you know, the little, the little like red herring of the shotgun blast with the blood where he's like, Oh, okay. So somebody got killed. And for the whole time you're thinking like, okay, it's either one of the three killers or one of the two main characters until buddy Mike rocks up in the middle of the film to, to check on the scene and try to come and get Mike or get James rather. And that was like, yeah, red herring because he was the one that ended up getting shot. So I thought I thought that it was going to be more time jumping because they played with it a bit. We saw the very start. Then we see them at the cabin and they're all sad or they're driving to the cabin and they're all sad. It looks like he maybe proposed and she said no and they broke up. And then it cuts back again to the night at the wedding like earlier that evening. And so I thought that would continue throughout the movie. But once they like they give us that flashback where they're at the wedding. Then it cuts back into present time. And from then on, it like continues in a linear fashion. So I would say, yeah, I don't, I didn't, I didn't think they were going to survive it. 
but I was hopeful. And I think that mm. that was deliberate because of so many, you know, there was so many, it was deliberate for us. And then like deliberately psychologically torturing for James and Kirsten, Kristen in the movie, because there were so many times when the door would open and it would be just an empty field. And it's like, that's your shot. That's like, that could be freedom or there could be someone out there. You don't know. But like not knowing one way or the other was very like psychologically like uh, aggravating. Mm -hmm. I found. Yeah. Yeah. You definitely have a yeah. lot of empathy for them in this film. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. One of the horror elements that I thought worked well was that you never knew what you were going to get. Right. When you're expecting a jump scare, you might get a jump scare, but you might get nothing or you might get someone standing off in the distance. Mm -hmm. Right. And like all three of those, whether it be nothing standing off in the distance or a jump scare, those were like, like roll a dice and whatever you get, that's what you're going to get. And it was kind of random that way where like sometimes you're expecting something and you wouldn't get it. Sometimes you were expecting something and you did get it. So I think that's what kind of kept me tense for the whole movie. Mm -hmm. I'm of a person where I don't like jump scares, not only because, you know, I think they're cheap and they scare me, but also because I I don't think it's a good storytelling element, mm -hmm. jump scares, you know, and I have to accept it for what it is because we are in a horror movie yeah. podcast, so there are going to be jump scares and there's nothing I can do about it. But I thought there wasn't an excessive amount of jump scares in this movie. There, there By the end, some of them got a little bit old, but... For the most part, I think the jump scares worked because of those other two options that you could mm. get, and you you wouldn't know which one you are getting in that moment. Something I noticed with the jump scares was a lot of times it was us seeing a person in a mask standing behind, but the character didn't necessarily see them. So it wasn't necessarily ratcheting up the tension for James or Kristen, but it was ratcheting up the tension for us because we're like, oh no, there's mm -hmm. someone behind you, like watch out. And th I thought that was interesting but yeah as 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 far as the logic if we can give any these killers any logic at all the the idea of them being spooky in the background in a position that the characters in the movie can't see it seems like who are you doing that for like why is why is you know black hair mask girl standing outside the window when nobody's like nobody's looking in is she waiting for Kristen to turn around and notice her or she's just like oh well I got bored but like because it's very affecting for us, the audience, but in the world of the movie, ideally, there's no audience, right? Yeah. Well, I think that point, Billy, speaks to the psychopathy of the characters, hmm. where for no discernible reason, they want to maximize the terror before the kill. And so to just stand out in the field to potentially be seen to make Kristen's night just that much worse before they kill her <laughs> is kind of what they're doing it seems like to me like they're they're milking every last ounce of fear out of these two people before they kill them and like mm -hmm. the the incompre the incomprehensibility of that motivation to the three of us is exactly why this movie is scary I think because it's exactly why serial killers are scary. It's exactly why random psychopathic murders are scary, right? Like that's, we don't know why they do that. <laughs> and it's, it's its own unique category because in a little psychology nerd here, like in the way that humans categorize things in the world, if you wanted to make a dichotomy, you could do humans and everything else, right? Like we have a special <laughs> category for other humans right. that, 
is pseudos fit in by animals, but like you you don't you don't treat another person like you might a rock in front of you kind of thing. Like it's just that obvious, right? Right. And so because of that, we also make some assumptions and some basic theory of mind stuff with other humans. And so the psychopath is unique in the human mental frame of things because it's like a category that we want to think we understand and then we don't, right? It's right. it's just like a says a does not compute. Why is why is um black hair lady just sitting on the swing or I can't remember if it was a blonde just to be seen by Kristen for a couple seconds and then move? Well, because it's a little scarier for Kristen, <laughs> right? Yeah, just for the rest of the the episode. Okay, I'll give you what Wikipedia has officially named. Oh, okay, them. great. So there is blonde blonde one is dollface. Doll burlap sack is man in the mask sure. and <laughs> black haired one is pinup girl right doll face pinup girl and man in the mask okay <laughs> i like burlap better though <laughs> i like burlap or the scarecrow <laughs> yeah and i was just gonna say too like from a film point of view nothing dates this movie of this era any more than that last scene one last unnecessary jump scare oh yeah one last hey like why <laughs> why does Kristen have to go ah and then the movie ends like like that only made the movie oh. worse i thought you were going to talk about the flip phones but i remember it's you and you had a flip phone like two years ago yeah i had a flip phone as recently as 2018 so but yeah no i think i think as far as i can tell this movie makes no sense without attributing psychopathy to these three people they don't sure. appear to have an yeah, ideology he's... that we know of in the film so that's terrifying and like real life terrifying. Uh, no, no. They are sometimes sinners. Sometimes. But who well, isn't? again, this is nerdy, but like, it's not like psychopath. As far as I know, I'm not an expert in this, but as far as I know, psychopaths aren't unaware of the things that matter to other people. So it yeah. might be interesting to a psychopath to learn about, well, what is sin? Am I a sinner? I don't know. But it just wouldn't compel behavior kind of thing. Right. I'll be able to hold so. my weight a little bit better with psychological discussions after after a few university <laughs> courses, but right now I'm a little bit like Yeah, Ooh. I'm I'm an amateur. <laughs> I've just I'm just a curious amateur who's read a lot of books about this, but never like I take I took a couple social psych courses in, in university. Mm-hmm. Not much formal education in psychology, but I've read on my own time a lot of it. And it it's just so fascinating to me, these kind of things. Yeah. So, so Luke, would you would you consider yourself uh, sigh curious? <laughs> are you it. here to sigh, or are you just a little curious? <laughs> Watch it. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, no, but it's like it ratchets up the terror. I think it did, mm-hmm. and this movie did a great job of ratcheting up the terror. It it did have a couple moments where I was like, that wouldn't be a scenario. That wouldn't be a scenario I would get in. Like, you know, he's going to go get cigarettes for her and it's four in the morning and they're they're sad and whatever. And, you know, if... if just, just go to if, bed. You can have your cigarettes in the go, morning, yeah, right? A, just go to bed. Or B, you know what? Just be like, you know what, James? I'm at your family cabin and I don't really want to be here by myself because this place has no, like, special meaning for me. So why don't I just come with you while we go to 7-Eleven or whatever? But then the movie doesn't happen. <laughs> Plus, they just had a fight, or like a, a a very sad, big sadness. Maybe they needed space. Maybe they needed space, but at that point, it's just like 
I don't know. Yeah, I, I wrote a note when I was watching it. It was like, I would have fallen asleep like 10 minutes after like getting out of the bed. <laughs> like, I don't care like how yeah. sad I am or how like, you know, mad I am at my fiance for or my ex or whatever. Like, I'm exhausted, probably from crying and probably from like drinking too much at the wedding. And I'm just going to pass out. But they're just like, I guess we'll just stay up and eat ice cream. Which they never put mm-hmm. back in the freezer. That was the worst and part. It bothered me. They never, they never put back that ice cream so in the much. freezer. Oh my goodness! What a waste. Yeah. <laughs> and it doesn't spill. Come on. Yeah, I was like, why <laughs> put the ice cream away? Yeah, I mean, you raise a good point, Billy. And there's at least two made. Uh, I started this by saying this is one of the most realistic films we've done, and I still think it is. Oh yes, because. You know, a lot of the other ones are supernatural, so they're already, like, <laughs> not realistic. But the two two major things that I would say make, that, that brought me out a little bit was how these three, Dollface, Pinup Girl, and Burlap, I don't care, I'm calling them Burlap, <laughs> went to the Michael Myers school of sneaking around, as you said, Billy. Like, yep. the fact that Kristen and James could never hear these people mm-hmm. when they were so close to them seemed unrealistic. Like how does burlap man walk around this house that, and make no sound, no creaking. The floors don't creak at all. There's nothing. They don't even hear a footstep. Okay. I don't think so. Now it's, it's compel It's compelling. Well, the movie completely counters itself because when she's hiding in the pantry, she hears him walking around yeah, and yeah, you yeah. as the audience can hear his footsteps. So it's like, why is he completely silent here, but and, you can hear him here? And she, it's for the movie, Yeah, and right? she can hear when they're making noises far away. Yeah. <laughs> like, when they're, like, out in the forest, so, she can so, hear the noises they're making. So if, if you'll permit me to play the podcast apologist as I want to do in this one, I can definitely see a, a show Bible where because this cabin is maybe it used to be a family summer home it doesn't get a lot of use nowadays there'd be ample time for if it's like locked up in the winter or something for like a group of psychopaths say to like maybe break in they clearly knew how to get in without Uh, like making noise and like learn where all the creeks are like that that does stretch (laughs) like the believability quite far like it doesn't (laughs) stretch quite to the point of breaking it like if somebody was single-minded enough, they could learn like where all those spots in the floorboards creak, and they could learn how to like navigate around <laughs> silently. Sure. It like again, the belief is stretched super thin here, but it's it's within the realm of like human possibility, especially because you know right. we don't get any explicit superpowers or anything. Sure. Well, I, I, I actually have another plausible explanation oh, okay. is that, you know, they are super sneaky and they can do that. But the part of the movie where he's making noise on purpose. and they make noise is on purpose, yeah. right? Like they know that they can hear, they know, they actually know, like maybe Man in Mass knew the whole time that Kristen was in the pantry. So he's like, I'm going to torture her a little bit more by pretending like I don't know where she is. And I'm going to walk around. I'm going to sit down in front of her. I'm going to move off. And it, I'm going to make it sound like I'm looking for her when in reality I actually do know where she is, which I guess they did know. Yeah, it seemed like the the, the three <laughs> killers knew every single, at, like knew where James and Kristen were at all times, 100%. Like even when they thought they were hiding, they were like, okay, great. We chased them into the basement. Now we can like do scary stuff and write hello on the wall in lipstick or whatever. <laughs> like they seemed yeah. to know every single step of the way where they were. Yeah. It's just a lot of the jump scares necessitated 
them being able to be right beside Kristen without her hearing them at all, which even if you plan for all of that, seems like it's not going to happen every single time. Like you'll hear an approaching person, even on a quiet floor. Yeah. Or you get that, like you get that little like like, sense that like, you know, if you can, there's like, I don't know what the psychological thing is, but you can sense when somebody is like looking at you from far away, you can sense when somebody is like walking around, like when somebody is approaching you, like approaching your bubble, if you're attuned to it, you can like sense like, oh, somebody's coming. And they didn't seem like they had that sense at all. It was like nothing, nothing, mm-hmm. nothing. It's called the force. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. big to force. <laughs> Which like of, yeah. of all the people to not have peripheral vision, nobody in that mask in the masks should have had any peripheral vision. But also James and Kristen didn't seem to have it either. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And it didn't sound like ever at any point the three psychopaths were communicating with each other, right? Like it's like it didn't sound like they were talking to each other. So maybe they had hand signals, but they definitely had to coordinate some of the things that they were doing. And yet we don't hear any communication happening between them. So yeah, you're right. Maybe this was a maybe they just but but again, it's hard to reconcile that with the randomness of like it sounds like maybe they well, although the, I guess at the end they say we'll get better at this, mm. but it just or it'll be easier. Yeah, next it'll time. be easier next time. But the randomness of like you were home, maybe they were just scouting out. The, you're right. Maybe they were scouting out this house for months, but they didn't know who lived there, right? But the line "you were home" makes it sound like they do this all the time. <laughs> but mm-hmm. I guess they don't because that last line, you know. I so, mean, if and, we. If we dive any deeper in, we're going to start like sounding like this movie is not very good because it is quite a good movie. It's quite tight. And we do, I think it's very evident so far that we all enjoyed it a lot, but that's not going to stop us from picking nits listeners. We're going to do it. Like, don't worry. Well, and this is, this is the challenge of trying to comprehend the motives of a psychopath. You can go down a million garden paths because you attribute potential motives when it is just kind of like, again, that category of incomprehensibility. Yeah, you were home. It's as simple as that. You were home. That's it. That's all. Uh, And then the other thing was there were a handful of really, really bad decisions that, especially James, made in this film. That I, Kristen, made a couple smaller bad decisions from from a survival point of view. When you have a gun and you're safe in a room, wait there, and and you don't have a phone. Wait there till it's light. Wait till you have better. Like you can see things more, you know, they don't, ha- they don't seem to have a gun. You have the advantage. Why are mm. you a sep separating and be doing it at night still? Like, it's just that kind of, the, that level of bad decision pulls me out of a movie sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. It's like never split the party. That's, you know, rule one in D and D that always gets broken. And they, they're splitting up and going off all over the place. And, yeah, I think if that was if that was me in that situation after the first like creepy Tamara is Tamara here? No, I'd be like, "Cool, why don't we go find a hotel, James? Like let's like let's yeah. get out of here." <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Not okay. <laughs> but uh, back to the point about the communication, I kind of thought that any of the animal calls that we heard, like we heard a little coyote woof and a couple mm. bird calls in the night i thought that might have been them doing it because it would be natural sounds and that's the way they're communicating i could be wrong there's nothing explicitly to like mm. lead us down that direction but you're right there wasn't any like hand signals or claps or something but 
they seem to they they were very single-minded in their mm-hmm. their attack on james and Kristen. all the banging and like footsteps that was actually morse code so we just couldn't decipher it in real time but that's how they communicated with each other yeah, we should have, we should have gone to that class uh, with james and pam or jim and pam <laughs> james and pam <laughs> james and pam it was all morse code i actually don't have that many notes for this this film i only have like two pages whereas usually i, I have a lot more to write down but this movie is basically one setting one night a couple hours well, I have a I had a thought I wanted to ask Alex cuz Alex has talked about how he likes minimalistic style films and this film felt very kind of low-key, lo-fi, minimalistic, one setting, only a couple hours. Like how did that make you feel about it, Alex? Cool, I'll just go. You just talk without me. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, no, I want your thought too, but only cuz <laughs> yeah, Alex yeah. has specifically brought it up before. I know, I know. Yeah, I didn't I wasn't in the mindset of this being a minimalistic film. I think mostly because of the sound. Mm. I think if it was like more so really silent Mm. for most of it, I would have felt more like, oh, this was like, this is such a minimalist film. But like, there was always creepy music playing. Oh, I see. When something creepy was happening, the music would go. When there was jump scares, you would hear like the violin screech Mm. and all that stuff. And I think that kind of took me out of that minimalist film mindset. Mm. So I didn't see this as a minimalist film because of that. Would changing the sound changed my thoughts on this movie maybe but i don't think it would have made me enjoy it more or enjoy it less Mm, okay yeah i think it was it was very it was very minimal in terms of setting and location and and time frame and stuff but it did Mm -hmm. have it did have a gloss of like bigger budget production on it i don't know if i don't know what the budget of this movie was but it felt like it nine million nine okay nine million thank you alex it felt like, yeah, it, it felt like it had some money behind it. And I don't really, I can't really accurately gauge that because I'm not in the film industry and I don't, I'm not a, an expert enough to know what, like, you know, what does 9 million look like on a screen? What does 100 million look like on a screen? I don't really know unless somebody tells me. Like, I couldn't just watch a movie and be like, you know, I bet that was a $100 million film. Like, I bet you, like, yeah. I can see it. Like, I don't have that skill set. Yeah, I will say that... It, it did feel kind of like a made for bigger audiences kind of movie because of those sound cues. Mm-hmm. And that's that's what took me out of it. Like, not that we're film experts in any way, but like, you know, if, if I was to show someone a movie and they had never seen a movie before and they didn't know what movies were like and they didn't know how plot was supposed to be structured, it'd be like, okay, the first thing I'm going to teach you is that when creepy music, when you hear creepy music, that's when your mind is supposed to believe that something creepy is happening. Yeah. You know, when you see a jump scare, that violin screech, that's that's the filmmaker's way of cueing the audience. Hey, you're supposed to be scared now. Mm, right. Yeah. Like, it was kind of like a made for the mainstream audience kind of horror. Yeah. You know what? I'm, I'm realizing I used the wrong word. I shouldn't have used minimalist. I should have used um, simple or simplicity because the simplicity of the mm. plot and the setting, I think made it so that you you you're never distracted by the plot of this film or like trying to figure out i mean maybe you're trying to figure out motivations but i don't think it goes much beyond that and so it it Mm -hmm. the simplicity of the setting and the plot allows you to really feel the feelings of james and Kristen, and allows you to really feel the scares of what the hell is going on so Mm -hmm. i think Mm -hmm. that yeah that low-key element of it is great was was something i enjoyed a lot yeah 
yeah, I really like the simplicity of it because it gives you so much more to reflect on, mm-hmm. right? At the end of the movie, like, I'm not worried about, you know, where they got stabbed and how they died and how much blood they lost. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. You know, the, the insurance claim on on James's car that was set on fire. I, I don't care about that because it was so simple. I'm the what I'm what I'm thinking on and what I'm reflecting on and what I want to talk about is is the why behind it. And yeah. because we find out the why, it's like like that's such a unhuman why of why the strangers did this. Mm-hmm. And that's the interesting part is talking about them. No, my the most interesting part of every horror movie is the insurance assessment after. yeah well i hope i hope the deductibles are not so bad for james now he deserves a break Uh, he does yeah he really (laughs) had a rough go did you see that car it probably costs nothing to insure (laughs) yeah Yeah. it's a volvo though but yeah no i i to your point about like the music and the scares being keyed better for an audience i think that you know this is something that is said quite often that horror and comedy are both better enjoyed in large settings like there's something mm-hmm. about watching a com- a comedic movie in a room in a theater full of people where like the laughter can be i i hate using the phrases contagious. like contagious and infectious especially because of the pandemic but you know and uh, it's been <laughs> it's been well over a year since i've been to a theater to watch a movie but just like i can see watching a horror movie in the theaters and having like the scares be like spread around every person in there and just sort of like, you know, it, it's a, a build on effect. If somebody else is scared, you can just sort of feel the tension of them increase and that magnifies. And it's something that's kind of lost when I'm, you know, sitting on my couch looking at my computer screen, which is like, I don't know, 11 inches. Like it's, yeah. it's not the same as a big screen movie experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one thing I wanted to kind of talk about because I'm interested in hearing your thoughts on it is I'm sure it was noticeable, but I'll I'll just point it out in case it was missed. Did you two notice how when they knock out Kristen at the end and they tie her and and James to the chair, they changed her out of the regular clothes back into her, the yep. dress and they put the ring on her finger? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I noticed that. What was that about? It was yeah, again it's like it's back to that why are they doing this and it's like if it's truly random, then are they supposed to, are they trying to set like this grisly tableau of like married life or or young love struck down or something? And I thought I thought that part at the end when they put her in the they put her in the dress and put it, put the ring on, you know, James kind of looks down and he has like a, oh my God, she said yes. Like look on his face a little bit. And it's like, <laughs> yeah. James, this is maybe not the moment. And then they have this like reconciliation moment where they love each other and they, they are so happy. And it just, that, that part I think felt the most disingenuous. It was like, okay, we need some sort of way to wrap this up and maybe they get back together right before they die. And it's like, I don't know. Like, I feel like if someone broke up with me and then a bunch of murderers tried to uh, or broke into the house and were going to kill us, I'd probably still be pissed at the person. <laughs> be like, I'm a die mad about this. Like, <laughs> we're not we're not patching it up right at the end. But yeah, I did I did notice that they were yeah. in the wedding dress. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. It's that that's that's a tough question to answer. Like, like that hypothetical of if you had just gotten into a fight with someone or broken up with someone and then you're about to die next to this person 
like what would your final words be to that person <laughs> or like your final interaction with that person it's it's so tough right mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. it's just it's a hypothetical hypothetical i couldn't answer because like well it, it's beyond the realm of my thinking you know i guess i would interpret that whole the whole schema of that end of the film in the way that like the strangers it's 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 so scary because they don't even hate james or Kristen, right Mm -hmm. they don't they don't even have negative feelings towards them so when dollface finds the ring on the table and then realizes oh maybe they're getting married maybe it's just like oh before we kill them let's do this nice thing for them because you know, it's a nice thing to do to put her back in the dress, to put the ring on, give them this nice little moment. So it's it's so it's so scary that it's not it's like, let's do them this favor because they have this special thing going on in their life. So let's let's do it for them before we stick them with the knife. Right. And it just adds ugh. were their hands like tied together? Mm-hmm. Or no, 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 they, they weren't. I think I think it was like tied next to each other or right. something. I, I yeah, they were tied, I don't know, maybe together. But it's, I don't know. I, I just, it's so creepy that, because again, this is my amateur knowledge speaking, but in psychopathy, like the psychopath would be able to recognize that engagements and weddings and ceremonies are really important to other people. Like it's it's not, mm-hmm. it's just that it it's not important to like they know how to manipulate those things but it just would never compel them internally right and so the realization of this maybe it's just like well you know here's one last nice thing we can do for them before we have to move on you know we don't want to make this intrusion a total bummer for them (laughs) (laughs) listen we're gonna stab you quite slowly but at least you're beside (laughs) your boyfriend and what if she was like actually we broke up they're like ah geez you know what i'm sorry uh hang on hang on take the ring off untie her put her in her like regular clothes and then tie them up across the room it's like is that better are you are we all good now okay and action yeah stab (laughs) yeah but i i think it goes back to that existential horror of the strangers don't even hate them they just don't feel anything yeah they're completely value neutral they just they're running on some sort of other operating system that is making sense to them but we are you know we have no idea maybe they're using linux i don't know how to use linux so that's why (laughs) (laughs) good one billy thanks so would they be considered like chaotic neutral no i don't think so well Mm. i think they're more chaotic evil because they're like killing yeah, wouldn't neutral imply that sometimes they do things that would be we would consider good? I guess they could, but we don't see it yeah. in this film. Yeah, but then they did the nice thing. I don't know. It's it's so tough to, <laughs> you know, dissect why because there is no why, but the why, they did give us a why. Well, I I, right? I like that we started this this second half of the podcast with, you know, saying like Luke you mentioned that like this is frustrating because there is no why and we don't get to have it and it would be fruitless to try to figure out what the why <laughs> is and we have spent a bunch of time circling back being like, but why do you think they did that? And it's like, it's not satisfying. <laughs> You're right. It's not satisfying yeah. for the answer to be because we have worked with enough kids to know that when we're asking for something or we're asking for a reason why a kid did something and they say, because you're just like, 
because why? Like, that's always yeah. the follow-up question is like, you want to get more behind behind the motivations of people. And we just do not get it at all in this movie with mm-hmm. the strangers. We're, we are pattern-seeking yeah. mammals. And so we seek patterns in everything and meaning and reasons. And I mean, it's it's all through our language. Like, I need closure. I need some sort of meaning. I need some sort of, I mean, and like even in horror films, like, there are so many, like, we can understand a revenge story. We can understand a self-defense story. We can understand even the fight. Like, the, the, the disagreement between James and Kristen is so much more comprehensible to us than what the strangers are doing, right? And so mm-hmm. it is this special category of no rhyme, no reason, total randomness, live with it. And that's just intolerable for our brains. Yeah, it's funny how how much more willing we are to accept the reasons behind, say, accidentally summoning something and then a demon being yeah. like, well, you fucked up, so here I am. <laughs> like, that is the reason. It does. We don't need to understand what the demon is doing, but we're like, oh, no, this person summoned the demon, and now the demon is the agent of chaos that's just wrecking around. But, like, this person, this is where this person fucked up. Yeah. And the only way James and Kristen fucked up was by being home. And that's, like, mm-hmm. the horrifying part. <laughs> You know what? I, I bet. Okay, so like in my mind's lore, I'm like, okay, so the strangers, they get to this house. They knock. Is Tamara home? No, you got the wrong house. They leave. They're like, fuck, we're actually at the wrong house, but we drove all the way here. We might as well do yeah. it. And when they ask us, we'll just say, because you were home. All right, let's go. Like, we don't. Wow. We, fuck it. We'll do it live. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let's wing it. Because it's like, the thing is, it it could have been anybody. There's nothing special about Kristen or James in this movie. They just needed a warm body. They needed two warm bodies to be the leads. But mm-hmm. there's nothing special about them. And again, I... I, I, I think Liv Tyler is special. Yeah, well, <laughs> perhaps uh, like a broken record, as maybe we noticed a few times in this film. <laughs> I just, like, the... I, I, I think I really like this movie because it tickles a philosophical bone in my body that mm. doesn't get tickled often, which is uh, this category I'm calling existential horror, which is yeah. that meaninglessness horror. The, the idea is you cry out deeply into the void saying, why did this happen to me? And the void barely cares to call back, why not? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, like that kind of horror, I think is one of the things that actually terrifies people in their dark nights of the soul, which I think is really interesting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And this, this, I think this goes to like a, a, a fear that a lot of people share is like, you know, I, I know like my family growing up, we would always lock the door. We would set the alarm before going to bed. Mm-hmm. Right. Like that's just something we always did. And, you know, other people don't do that. There's some people that don't have alarms in their houses and don't lock the door. But, you know, I guess the the deepest irrational fear that my parents had was that someone would break in in the middle of the night and kill us. Right. And that's why we did those things. Mm -hmm. And it's not it's not like it it is kind of irrational. You'd think about it. Like, what are the odds that someone would actually break into your house and kill you in the middle of the night? Like kind of low, I guess, based off that FBI stat, 1.4 million out of 300 million. But it's not an uncommon thing to lock your door and mm-hmm. set an alarm mm-hmm. at night, right? Like, lots of people do that. So, 
lots of people i would say share that fear that someone would break in in the like a random break in in the middle of the night to do whatever unspeakable horrors to your family it always yeah. surprises me so much when i hear people be like oh yeah like i don't lock my door at night and it's like i've never i don't think i've met anybody in my like circle of friends who does that but there's like stories where people are like yeah i don't lock my door at night because we live in a safe place it's like but it doesn't i don't care how safe it is i'm locking my door when i go to bed and there's been a couple mm-hmm. times when I've act- I've forgotten to like throw the lock on my apartment door and I'll wake up in the morning and it'll be open and I'm like, great, there's probably somebody living in my tiny apartment who's hiding from me now. Sick. Mm-hmm. I'm so stoked about it. Well, and Alex, I, I'd, I'd even want to accentuate the point I made earlier with your example in that I think both statistically and even normatively we'd say well you know because generally we want to deter theft right like most people break in for burglary purposes but yet I think even in the subconscious it gives relaxation or or like a defense against the stranger type right like the one who, who doesn't even care about your possessions just wants to come and harm you for its own mm-hmm. sake like that kind of like that is so much that's even so much more visceral and pr- primitive of a fear that i think is also part of the locked doors kind of thing you know and it's just it's interesting how you can have these kind of more surface social level reasons for things and yet this movie taps into the deeper level which is your existential fear around what could happen based on the behavior of other people yeah Absolutely. And like the whole thing with locking your door at night and locking your door to prevent theft. I had a a friend use a quote that was like, you know, locking your door really just deters honest people. Because if somebody like has a mind to break in and steal your stuff, our deadbolts on our, our apartment doors and our house doors, like someone can pick those. Like those are, you know, they deter people from just like walking in. But if somebody had a mind to, it's like, yeah, of course they could come in if they wanted to. Mm-hmm. And you just sort of, the social contract says, like, that's not what we do. And so when someone breaks it, it's like, oh, no, everyone's in danger. Yeah. And there's kind of the the flip side to that, too, where, you know, I, I have people in my life where they live in a part of the city where there's lots of break-ins and whatever. So, like, they, they say, yeah, I just leave my car doors unlocked and I don't leave any valuables in because I'd much rather someone open the door and take whatever is in there, which is nothing, than to smash my window. Right. <laughs> I mean, yeah. or perhaps there's a sicker interpretation here where it's like locked doors don't necessarily make it that thieves don't want to steal from your house it's just that it makes it easier to steal from your neighbors than from you with whoever has doesn't have a locked door (laughs) like i don't need if i'm running away from a bear i don't need to outrun the bear i just need to outrun you (laughs) yeah i gotta outrun at least one other person (laughs) yeah but So yeah, I just, I don't know how purposeful this movie did it, but I think given that the name is The Strangers, Camus' novel is The Stranger, and the whole theme of Camus' work in that novel is the incomprehensibility of a terrible action to anyone on the outside observing it. It just, it's so, again, this movie, I never would have been able to appreciate that element of this film when I watched it 10 years ago. So Mm -hmm. I like it more now than I did then, which is cool because it's also giving me, like I'm watching the same movie differently do you know what i mean like do you ever read a book way later that does something different from you than the first time like that is that's Mm -hmm. such a i love that feeling i want to think of a good word for that feeling of being 
rewarded in a different way. I feel the same way about Star Wars. I feel the same way about the original trilogy of Star Wars, where as a six-year-old, I loved the lightsabers. I loved the X-Wings. I loved the sound. I still love all those things, but now I also love the hero's journey archetype, which I never would have got as a six-year-old, right? So I can watch it different now. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that, in a minor key, I feel that about The Strangers. Mm. I... Yeah, I, I love it. And I love the fact that we we as the audience never get to see the strangers. We never get to see their faces. So they are, to the very end of the movie, complete strangers. You know, even at the end when it's daytime and they're in their car and they're talking to those little missionary kids on their bikes, we see like the eye and part of a nose in the rearview mirror of the driver, Burlap Man, we see the side profile of Dollface, and we see the other side profile of the pinup girl, but we don't ever get to see their faces. And throughout this whole movie, even though I knew that it was like, it's about strangers and there's no reason, I was wondering, I was like, I wonder if it's going to be a, they pull off their masks and they're like, wait a minute, Devin? Ah, oh, you scamp, you got us. Like... <laughs> I I I, th- I thought there was going to be a reveal where they somehow recognized these strangers, but no, but no, that was me just being like, I need a why, I need a why, and the fact that you don't get that even at the very end is, you know, the reason this movie sticks in your brain. Mm-hmm. I think that final scene where they, you know, they stabbed James and Kristen was like the part that was really powerful to me in like a, I can't believe this is happening kind of sense is to build on like the trying to figure out why 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 are they doing this but we we never know but like just before they kill them they take off their mask so that they can actually we as the audience don't see their face but james and Kristen get to directly look at the face of their to-be killers like that's just a such a scary thought to me it's like like they want the last thing that they see to be the person that has been tormenting them this whole time yeah like, and for oh, them to like, oh it just gives me ch- it gives me chills yeah like I, and for them to see like yeah, we don't know you, you don't know us, and we're killing you. We're taking your life because we want to. It's very, It was very affecting. I see it. And did you notice the way, it seemed to me the way that James and Kristen reacted to seeing the three of their faces, I, I kind of saw an acceptance of their fate. Like, it just sounded like they didn't really plead them any further. They didn't beg they didn't kind of like say, oh, now that I see your face, we've humanized, which makes me think that like in the world, in the fictitious world of this movie, they see three faces that are just blank or there's nothing in the face that suggests that pleading will work. So they don't even try. Mm-hmm. And that is chilling, mm-hmm. right? Like that, yeah. that is, and you're right, Billy. I love the, cause we get like the kind of like from Zep in the early parts of Saw, like we don't see the face, but we see distant shots of side face, <laughs> right? Like we get maybe an eyebrow or we get like a hair color or a, or a profile, but never a full on. And I think that that was such a good decision too for the film to mm-hmm. have that be the ways. And the simplicity of the ending kills, just a couple knives to the torso. Yeah. Like it's just nothing, like this movie wasn't a spectacle in that sense, even to the very end which is why I really didn't like the last jump scare of Kristen not being dead. Like, come on. But uh, yeah, it was just so chilling. Well, yeah, because I, I feel like even even to the point where you're getting stabbed or where James is getting stabbed, because it's so simplistic and with a knife, like to just put yourselves in the shoes of 
James and Kristen, it's like you're in this psychological torture house where people have spent all night banging on things and ratcheting up the, the fear. And then there's not even like a big giant Rube Goldberg saw like machine. That's going to kill you. It's just mm. going to be a fucking knife yeah. that I left out on the counter. Like, yeah. come on, what a rip off. <laughs> kill me. Again, interestingly. again, <laughs> the Michael Myers school of killing. Yep. <laughs> that school should get shut down. I don't know how it's still running. <laughs> I want to talk about the a little bit more about when James shoots Mike, and as soon oh, as the God. basically, I just want to bra- I just want to brag, and I want to feel like you also can can brag with me. But as soon as that gun came out, I was like, "No way, James is shooting one of these killers. He's shooting somebody like on his side." And then as soon as Mike showed up, I was like, "Mike's getting shot with that gun, like a hundred percent." Yeah, that that has kind of become a little bit of a cliche, right? Having having the safety of a weapon, but ending up using it on the wrong person or thing. <laughs> We're looking at good... you, the mist. <laughs> oh, I haven't seen it yet. But I did. I did have a good laugh and a good. Uh, I typed it in the the chat when we were watching it. But it's like he shoots, he shoots Mike, and then he's like, "Ah, oh, I shot him. He wasn't wearing a mask. I shot him." And I was like, "Yep." That's mood. That's like the the pandemic mood, <laughs> for sure. But mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just right, a yeah, different no mask. context. <laughs> She's not wearing a mask. Well, and that scene was frustrating because when he's outside, I think what's his name, Mike. He says Mike. James's name a couple times, but he doesn't say it in the house at all. Like if shits everywhere and you see blood or broken glass, you, you like how is he not yelling James's name? You know, he because the record was playing. Well, turn the record off. Yeah, yeah. yeah. One, how is he not <laughs> saying James's name every seven seconds in between being on the phone with nine one one? Like he still has his cell phone. His charger wasn't cut. Yeah. His phone wasn't thrown into the fire. Like if I'm Mike and the door is open and it's it's four thirty in the morning, it's like. I'm not gonna. The worst I'm gonna do if I'm wrong is annoy my friend for calling, you know, the cops or calling someone to help him. And then I can be like, you know what? Maybe don't leave your fucking door open in the middle of the night, friend. Like, <laughs> yeah. well, he, 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 he already has a reason that he should be calling 911, right? Like the reason he got out of his car was because someone threw a rock at his windshield, <laughs> yeah. right? So obviously someone's present at that moment. Like, so you know that if someone throws a rock at your windshield, you know someone's out there, and then you're looking onto your friend's house, and it's completely smashed, and the door's open, and, like, there's glass everywhere, I would automatically, like, call for help, right? <laughs> like, it that that was the the dumbest part of the movie, I want to sure. I want to make a note here. This is interesting. Make a note of how much more annoyed we are with Mike and James <laughs> than we are with the strangers. Isn't that interesting, though? Right? Like, we're annoyed... At Mike and James, because we can understand their decisions and they're just bad, right? Like we 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 have a context to evaluate what they're doing, as opposed to the the psychopathic killers who are just like, yeah. oh, what are whatever. I don't know, you know how like, to react to you because so we won't. can't analyze it. We can't be we, mad we, at them. We right? we blame we blame Mike in this scenario. <laughs> We have blame for him. All he did was try and give his friend a ride home. And we're more pissed at him. That, I just, again, these psychological tidbits are so fascinating to me. 
Yeah, you know what? Fuck you, Mike. Say James's like the name. Definition of victim blaming. Yeah, we're, yeah, exactly. <laughs> we're yeah. we're bad. We're sorry. <laughs> I think the does he call nine one one or not is like a prudential decision. But the one that's really hard to understand in the context of if we're trying to take this film seriously as a, as what's happening is him not saying James's name at all in the house. He yeah. had like from the front door to the end of a hallway to call out his friend's name and mm-hmm. that would have saved his life. Or at least it wouldn't have been James who shot him. It would have been the guy maybe axing him in the back. Cause but... he was behind him, right? There was like a shot where yeah, Mike is was. creeping out in the hallway and, and burlap face is there. But but it made no sense. <laughs> Even though he like he gets shot, I really liked the 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 look on his face once James realizes that like that was their way out and that was their rescue, like that was their rescue party, and he was the person responsible for like making that not an option anymore. And you just see him like this crushing defeat on his face, where he's like, oh, "Fuck, I killed our ride home," and. Yeah, I, th- I, I, I thought it was friend. a nice bit of acting. Yeah, and my best friend. <laughs> <laughs> Which, what was Scott Speedman yeah. in, like, other than this? I feel like he was almost like a famous, like a big-time famous, but... Was he in any of the Underworld movies? Maybe I'm thinking oh, of someone else. I feel else. like he could be. Yes. Yeah. He is in the television series Felicity. He's in Underworld films. And he's in Animal Kingdom. Mm. Mm, okay oh one thing i wanted to just mention because i thought it was like a nice really minor touch that kind of added a little bit to the characters of Kristen and james was you you never really get a sense of why they why she turned him down Mm -hmm. i mean like she says i'm not ready but you don't really get a sense of their relationship dynamic because that's not Honestly, that's not the important part of this film, and that's not what it should be focused on. But one, the one offline that I really liked that kind of added some more context to how the relationship is and how they got to this point was when they find the bullets to the the gun, and she, he's trying to load it, and he's like, "I'm not even sure how to use it." This, and she goes, "Like, didn't didn't you, you like you told me you used to go hunting with your dad all the time?" And he's like, "No, that's just something I said." <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that line adds a little bit to that character, di- like yeah. to that relationship dynamic. It's like, is this a relationship not built off of total honesty with each other? Right? Mm. Like, he just says stuff that he doesn't actually mean, and maybe that that shows a little bit of insight as to why right. she's not marrying and him is because there hasn't been that complete honesty well, in their relationship. Yeah, because it implies that maybe Kristen has subconscious intuitions as to being uncertain about him. Which is why she says no. Right. You know? I like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just a one-off line, which is kind of funny, because, like, you assume any hero that finds a gun in a movie, they're going to know how to use it right away. It's just, like, it's funny because I don't actually know how to use this, but it also adds a little bit of a layer to the relationship. <laughs> is James a hero? <laughs> <laughs> no. Well, with the with that kind of decision-making, no way, yeah, right? <laughs> no, your point stands. I just love, yeah, I love the fact that it's, like, I just, that's something I say to either impress you or to impress people or because it's like, that is what the expectation is. Like I, you know, am a big manly man and I grew up and of course I went hunting because that's what I did. And like, you know, it sort of gave an insight into maybe he's a little bit more insecure or fragile about his status. Are we saying that the strangers is all toxic masculinity? Is that what we're boiling it down to? (laughs) 
if he was just more honest, they would have been married. They would have like gone on their road trip. It would have been fine. Or are we just victim blaming Maybe. again? <laughs> but I mean, he did say he was so embarrassed. So he's like showing a little bit of emotion, right? At the very start where she's like, talk to me. And he's like, this is so embarrassing. Yeah. So it's like, all right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. maybe toxic insecurity. <laughs> toxic insecurity. There we go. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> with with some toxic psychopathy for icing on the cake. A lot, a lot of toxic psycho- psychopathy. The whole thing. You, you, you mean melted melt, melted tub of ice cream? Ah, on the cake. yeah, there it is. <laughs> so much. Ice That's cream the real symbol of the film. <laughs> oh, what? One more thing I wanted to All point right. out. What an awful awful fire alarm or smoke detector (laughs) when you pull it out of the wall it's still supposed to go off right like she pulls it out it's like oh it's gonna stop ringing right away like that's that's a poorly designed i thought she dropped it and the battery popped out i thought that's what happened well no smoke detector good smoke detectors even if you take the battery out they're gonna keep ringing because it's like warning you hey there's carbon monoxide or smoke like you can't just turn it off like that okay I, I don't have a good yeah, I don't have a good smoke alarm then because when I pull the battery out of mine it stops. <laughs> maybe uh, the strangers were so ahead of the plan that they put in a fake smoke detector that was not up to standards or codes. They yeah. thought of everything. Mm. <laughs> they thought of everything. So in the end, they were really teaching people a lesson. You know, keep up <laughs> with your fire inspections and wait. Make sure you call that serve. <laughs> Pro-serve? Serve-tech? Pro-tech? Yeah, pro-serve-tech. Oh, wait, how many arms did Burlap Man have? Because if he had one fake arm, then this is... Mm, mm. That's a lesson. Yeah. And this is why you never teach a lesson. J. Walter Weatherman. <laughs> I feel oh like the gosh. lesson of this film is, that's why you never be home. That's why you never be home. Or this is why you never live in an, like a rural setting, you know? If, if someone's going to kill me in my home, at least all my neighbors can hear it. <laughs> Fair enough. Is there anything else we want to chat about before we mosey on into the end of the episode? Nah, I I went over those things. The fire alarm and the shotgun. (laughs) Well, we know that whenever... Oh, also, okay, okay, last thing, the radio. Yeah. That was was dumb. dumb. It was like... We have a radio in the shed. Okay, let's go to the shed. Oh, I'm going to try and work this radio. And then suddenly a voice pops out. Hello? Hello? And it's like, help me. And then smash radio. Plot device. It was, yeah, just an extra scare. Yeah, it was something, it was an element of the film I didn't like because it showed, it, it made it feel like both James and Kristen were not well adapting to their situation. Like after James has killed Mike and these people have done what they've done to the cars and they realize they have weapons or could have weapons, it just, the the right play wasn't trying to find a radio. The right play was surviving. <laughs> like it just it was it wasn't the right adaptation for their survival instincts which was you know it's annoying to watch mm-hmm. yeah it was just a little bit more victim blaming blaming from our just part us, yeah well yeah <laughs> no i mean yeah the 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 people we need to be mad at are the people we can't understand and so we're like our brains are like well then just ignore them but mm-hmm. yeah maybe don't be a psychopathic killer who just like murders things yeah you know what here at Nothing to Fear, we blame the strangers, and we don't care who knows. That's right. We'll die on that hill. <laughs> you know what, though? You know what? I'm, I'm very looking forward to a time when I can visit Alex in a house that he has built because I know he'll have top-notch smoke detectors and so many fucking yep. nails in the eaves trough. Like, don't even worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And don't worry. I'll have a freezer that I'll put my ice cream back in okay. as well. Sure. Yeah. Perfect. 
All right. <laughs> hey, listeners, Billy here, just jumping in mid-episode to let you know that Nothing to Fear has a sponsor for this week. We are sponsored by Unclockable. Unclockable makes feel-good, gender-affirmative products for femmes by fans. They exist to help you be you and wear what you want. If you haven't seen it for yourself, their tuck kit is totally euphoric. With Unclockable, your tuck does what gaffs don't. It's swim-proof, gym-proof, and life-proof, and will never show a panty line. So you can securely express yourself, live your life, and keep your parts private. Whether you're new to tucking or have been doing it for some time, Unclockable is something to try out. Right now, you can get a home try-on kit for just $5.49. Happiness is guaranteed, and listeners of this podcast can get $2 off their first order. Just go to unclockable.com slash neverfear or use code neverfear, all capital letters, <laughs> nothing between the words, at checkout. That's unclockable.com slash neverfear or use code neverfear at checkout for $2 off your first order. Unclockable, be you. When you're seen, good things happen. Now, I use Unclockable, and I was super impressed by the ease and comfort of their product. And they also have some other cool merch on their site, so anyone can go check it out. We're super grateful for Unclockable for supporting the show. So once again, that's unclockable.com slash neverfear, and use code NEVERFEAR, all capital letters, nothing between the words, for $2 off your first order. Back to the show. (laughs) So... This movie was very scary, but what was the scariest part for all of you? Luke, why don't you start us off? I think the scariest part when I first saw it was that scene kind of towards the end of the first act, maybe, or like a little bit before halfway through where Kristen's alone. James has just gone to get the cigarettes and we get that distant shot of burlap sack man in the house, but in the door or like in the room doorway to the other room. Mm-hmm. And I liked it because it's creepy. Obviously, it's creepy. It's it's so tense and disturbing. That's another word that I think is really good for this film. It's a very disturbing film because mm-hmm. of the incomprehensibility. And it also paid some to something that we haven't really talked about much, which, which I, I really liked a lot of the camera shots in this film because of... I mean, obviously, it's a director manipulating the audience, but we kind of only see snippets of the strangers for most of the movie so we know they're always there but we don't know where they are Mm -hmm. and i think that that decision making from a cinema cinematic point of view is really affecting as well and so like that kind of creep the creepiest part of this film was that was that scene and i really liked it as well as something we also didn't mention from the film is i really liked the music playing Mm. on the record a lot of the time that kind of like mid to late 2000s indie rock feel or indie acoustic feel was very nostalgic even for for that era yeah so it's it sounded like a lot of the mixed cds that my sister makes my mom every year for christmas it's like very much Mm. that genre of music (laughs) yeah so yeah that was the scene yeah that was scary and the music i thought the music was was affecting in this movie and there was like a bunch of parts where it felt like the insects droning like the the crickets in the night or the cicadas maybe were droning and then that transitioned into like the soundtrack like it it amped up and 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 the tone deepened and it got more frantic and it was just like it really kept me kept me on edge the whole time but my scariest part and there was a couple times when the you know the strangers would like 
zoom into frame and there'd be a big shot of music and it was like a cheap jump scare. But I, again, this is a movie where I was like, no, no, stop it. No, I'm like shouting at the computer screen because it was frightening. And so the one that got me was when Kristen is hiding in the pantry and she watches Burlap Man have his little snack and sit down and have a just take a little relax you know he's had a busy night he just wants to sit down for a second and then when she goes to leave and dollface jumps in front of the doors like that like made me jump a lot and i i think that was a point when i actually shouted fuck you movie like fuck you <laughs> so that's my that's question my billy part. are you more or less excited to go visit your lake house now I'm so not excited about it at all, <laughs> especially since I think this episode comes out on the day I'm planning on going up there. So if I listen to it, I'll be oh. like, great, great. I guess I got to think about this. <laughs> Just do everything opposite. Yeah, don't answer the door. <laughs> don't go to the lake house. That's the first opposite. There you go. All right, fine. Alex, <laughs> what was the scariest part for you? The scariest part for me... I would say it's kind of a tie between two. So the first one would be the same one as Luke where, you know, Burlap Sackman is just in the background and nothing's going on, but she doesn't notice him. And we kind of just see him in the darkness and just like the face. And it's, it's like a really, it, it's scary, right? Because you don't know what he's doing, how he got in there, who he is. Because he's a, like, that's the first time you see him as a character. Like you, the only other person that we know of that exists is the person who is knocking at the door and asking for Tamara, mm-hmm. right? So Obviously, this person is completely different. So it's a introduction of a brand new character. And you're like, oh, I guess this is the plural part of the movie title. So that yeah, that was really scary. But I would say probably my scariest part is the scene really close to afterwards that where there's knocking on the door again. And Kristen goes to answer the door and you she cracks open the door and you, it's it's a jump scare. But you see Dollface for the first mm. time. Yeah, you just see that. And it, like it's implied that the the... The, the lady that was knocking at the door asking for Tamara at the, at the start is Dollface, but you don't actually see, like, she wasn't wearing a mask at that point, but her face is just covered in, by the darkness. But you see the doll face, and that I think the doll face is the scariest of the three faces for me, just because it was the most, I guess, unnaturally, or natu- made, artificially made to be scary. Mm. You know, burlap sack is just, it's a sack, and I guess pinup gets introduced later, but doll face was... It was scary. It gave me like, you know, kind of like Joker vibes where it's like you're trying to scare the person on purpose. But it like at the end of the day, it's not a scary mess. Like there's no blood or like creepy things on it. But just the shock of seeing it like quickly. Mm -hmm. That was that was scary. That was the scariest part for me. Yeah, it's not a scary mask. The the two that they have aren't scary, but the setting they're in where they're standing outside creepily in the dark makes them fucking terrifying. Like. Yeah, you know. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think the yeah. setting is good. But I, I found Burlap Man to be the scariest. I didn't. I didn't like his. No, I didn't like his mask. His breathing. Yeah. He was scary. He he was like the scarecrow. Alex, I'm trying to figure out how to work. Pinup Girl never said anything, did she? Yeah. Uh, I don't no. know. It all the dialogue was from Dollface. Yeah. Right? So when she was stand when Dollface was standing at the door at the beginning, her face believed in a thing called love. But I thought that was originally by the darkness, not covered by it. <laughs> no, they, they got to the cabin on a Friday night. Uh, just listen to the rhythm. Hey, of your and and talking about unnecessary and serpentine connections. I believe the lead singer of the darkness is Justin Hawkins. Mm-hmm. Hawkins, Indiana. 
setting of Stranger Things. What goes around's all around. <laughs> and of course, the sequel to The Strangers, as we have found out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Ah, uh, there's no connection so tenuous that nothing to fear can make something out of there. Don't you worry. I, it's one of our greatest strengths, actually. Absolutely. We're pat. Listen, we're 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 mammals that love to make patterns and find patterns. And if we can't find any, we're gonna make them ourselves. <laughs> oh man. This is like the most self-indulgent episode yet. <laughs> no, no, that's called all of the episodes. But Oh yeah, sorry. <laughs> what would you like to rate this movie out of? I think the obvious one is creepy masks, but there's maybe a funnier one. <laughs> Five melted ice Wasted cream buckets. Tubs of ice cream. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Okay. <laughs> all right. I'm gonna give this movie. Out of melted ice cream buckets, I'm going to be a 3.85 because it was very scary. It delivered on the promise of being scary. And I think that for once, it was a horror movie that lived up to the hype of it being, you know, people list this movie as one of the scariest horror movies of the 21st century. And Mm -hmm. I absolutely will agree with that. It was very, very, very tense and very creepy and yeah, I'm definitely not looking forward to the next time I go to the lake. So 3.85 melted ice cream buckets. And Luke, you go next. Uh, this is not a perfect movie from a storytelling or cinematic point of view, but it's going to skew higher for me because of its interplay and intersection between philosophy and psychology, which are my two favorite mm. intellectual pursuits. And so I spend a lot of my time thinking about and wanting to explore philosophy and psychology and where they intersect, because I think that that's kind of like the money spot for trying to figure out how to live well. What are we and what can we be kind of thing. Mm. And this movie plays with a lot of those themes really, really tightly and really well. So I'm going to give this film uh, 4.25 out of 5. And if I had rated it from my memory, it would have been like maybe a 3. So it's been a film that's really benefited from my maturity, which is kind of cool to think about as well. Yeah, because usually films go the other Uh, way. You watch something and you like it when you're younger, and then you watch it later and you're like, what the hell was I smoking when I was watching this movie? (laughs) And as every listener will know, I am playing fast and loose with the word maturity here, but you get it. <laughs> <laughs> of course. All right, Alex, what are you giving this one? I am going to give this movie a 3.75 melted tubs of ice cream out of five. Scary movie, and I think what knocks it up a peg in the scary level for me isn't actually, you know, the the jump scares and whatnot. It's more so the the strangers, like mm-hmm. just them themselves and why they did that and not having a reason, but the reason being because you were home. That's just that's terrifying to me. And that that knocks it up. If if it if it was like a bunch of serial killers that had motivations or whatever, this would I think this would have been a not great movie, honestly. But because of that element, it really adds to the thinking behind like makes me think about this movie more. And the more I think about a movie the more I would like it, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then I kind of touched on this earlier where you don't know if you're getting a jump scare, nothing, or someone standing off in the distance. I really like that. I did think some of the jump scares were a bit excessive and got cheap, but 
what can you do? <laughs> I think that's what lowers it a little bit for me is those excessive amounts of jump scares. Especially the end. But yeah, this was a good movie. I liked it a lot. So 3.75. Yeah. And <laughs> I know that we we had been getting burnt out on slashers. You know, we, we, we moved away from them a couple movies away. And even though this is like humans killing other humans and there's no spooky supernatural stuff, it didn't have a slasher vibe to me. Like it wasn't like no. the strangers were just like stranger in about all over the place and like killing tons and tons of people. So yeah, it was, an. Yeah. In, it, I, I like that we can watch movies that are based in reality quotes, like humans with yeah, no right. extraordinary abilities, but it isn't just like a mindless slasher. So I was just thinking on that point, Alex, some of the jump, like the last 20 minute, the jump scares of this film, the it, it kind of feels like the producers of the movie were like, ah, oh, you know what? You've made a really good film, really tight script, but it is 2008. So we're going to need a few more jump scares in there, please. And thank yeah. you. <laughs> yeah, probably. yeah, exactly. Maybe and especially one right at the end. <laughs> yeah. And a line that says, we'll get better next time. So it's like, ooh, sequel, The Strangers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There is a Question sequel. Mark. I know, Stranger. It came out in 2018, I think. Mm-hmm. It's like The Strangers, but they go to a trailer park. That's what I read from it. So next week on Nothing to Fear. Uh-oh, watch out, Bubbles. <laughs> no, we're not doing it next week. But would you watch this movie again? Would you watch this one for a third time, both of y'all? Yeah, I think eventually I would. Like, this was a very enjoyable movie, and... You know, I knew what happened, but I was just as tense this this viewing, so I, I I'd probably watch it. Again. Yeah, I, I would, and and this feels like a good movie to watch, like like a movie version of a book club. Like if you had like a philosophy movie club, this would be a really interesting movie to do when you're doing the existentialist category, especially the French existentialists, mm. because of of the of its relationship to meaninglessness and absurdity, and but also horror and and terror and so i think weirdly even though this movie is a kind of better than average but still middle of the road film the themes of it are so interesting to me that i'd love to do it like in a discussion group let's say as opposed to just Mm. enjoying the film again so that that would be the most compelling reason i'd want to watch it again yeah i agree i would love to watch this with a group of people and then talk about it after which is why I started a podcast, but even a bigger. Yeah, why don't we get a podcast about? <laughs> hey, we can make it. A, we could call it "Nothing to Fear." We can be about horror movies, as long as we don't do any Star Wars references. Though I hate it when podcasts do like random references to other mm, shit. Right. <laughs> I would. I would watch this movie again. I would. I would want to watch this movie with a couple people. Yeah, like specifically. I, again, the next time I watch it, I don't want to do it. You all. should watch it at your lake house. No. I'm not going to do that. I don't think, I think I will not watch that. <laughs> but <laughs> as always, talking about the scary movies has helped me feel better about the scary movies. So, so thank you so much. And I think we should cheer something. So who's mm. got a good cheer they want to do? Who would like to go first? I'll go first. I did my taxes this week <laughs> and I get a return. So that's my cheer. Woo. Thanks for taking my money and giving some of it back to me, government. Yeah, I also did my taxes, and I was like, woo! So I'm waiting for that to clear. (laughs) It's like a a nice little present at the start of the year. Yeah, it is nice. What are you, Chiron Luke? I guess I better do my taxes. Well, (laughs) (laughs) 
as as you got you got a couple months. Yeah. As both of you know, I like to say no dipity like serendipity. So I think there's a nice serendipity to my cheer today because last week I went to the bookstore and I got a book on the history of Atlantis. And of Mm. course, it's not the history of Atlantis per se. It's the history of the writings of Atlantis and what people have said about Atlantis over the millennia because obviously Atlantis is the city that went into the ocean and it was written about in a couple of Plato's dialogues. And so the author of the book went through the, the... centuries of like different famous writings of Atlantis and one of the things that came out of that to me that I that I feel like I learned is that Atlantis might be the kind of original conspiracy theory because <laughs> you just get so much of the motivated reasoning and the like overlooking of empirical evidence to fit theories about Atlantis like there's authors from like the say 18th and 19th century who place Atlantis in South America or Sweden or Chile or like different places all around the planet that in one way or another serve their kind of political purposes and what you know and and it was just so cool it's it's something interesting because the psychology of the conspiracy theory is quite fascinating to me and we've talked about psychology a lot today so it was just really cool to get a kind of historical breakdown on the psychology of people talking about Atlantis and the two major works of popular fiction is that in 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, the Jules Verne novel, there's a part of the book where the characters see walk around in Atlantis and the early 2000s Disney film, there's a mm-hmm. Atlantis. Yeah, which, that's right. So it's just really cool because Atlantis is always something I've known about, but to just have a full walkthrough of the history of its writings and, and who talked about it is, is really cool. And right, I really liked it. So that's my That's cheer. awesome. Nice. I... I'm also oh my Lantis. Oh my Lantis. Yeah. <laughs> I'm also going to cheer a book as people may know I am planning on a move in at the end of the summer and because I have but a small car I can't bring everything that's in my apartment so I'm trying to donate stuff and sell stuff off and, and kind of Marie Kondo myself down to whatever I can carry in a car and I've been getting rid of books but I found a book on my bookshelf that I had never read and it, I started reading it and I haven't like read a book with like cover and pages in a long time because I've <laughs> mostly been like, <laughs> I know, I've mostly been like staring at a screen and, you know, or listening to audio books because I'm out and about, but like just like sitting down yesterday and reading a book that's like a high fantasy world. It's called A Darker Shade of Magic. I have it here and I, I've only started it, but it's basically like, there's multiple Londons across dimensions and they have different levels of magic. And mm. there's a, a, a being who can transit across into those dimensions. And, you know, it was just enjoyable to like sit down and, and read a book and not stare at a screen, especially since the last, I think in the last two days, I've had some form of video call from like 9am on Saturday till about now. Like I've, I've had mm. so much time just in front of a zoom screen and it's like, I'm I'm ready to give my eyes a break, so yay reading. <laughs> That's my cheer. So what's what's the shade? So far, there's gray and red, but promises of white and black, so. Wow. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> so far, yeah, not a lot of shade, but a lot of insults in this book, so <laughs> read, read what you will. Ah, good one. <laughs> 
All right. <laughs> That'll do it. That'll put us at the end of another episode. I'm not, I don't think I'm forgetting anything. If you would like to support our show, the easiest and fastest way to do that is to leave us a rating and a review over wherever you get your podcasts or just subscribe. Tell other people. It really helps us grow in our, our numbers and our reach. And we want we want more people to enjoy the show. So if you have the time and you haven't yet done that, please head on over to Apple Podcasts and Give us a five-star rating and a little one-sentence review and make three podcast hosts very happy. Mm. If you would like to spend some money on us, you can buy merchandise. We have a couple stores that I will be updating again shortly, but TeePublic and Society6 where you can get designs based on a great many of our episodes. And yeah, you can do that. Or you can follow us on social media. Nothing to Fear is at Nothing to Fear Podcast on Instagram. It is at NTF Pod on the Twitter machine. And if you would like to send us an email, you can do that at Nothing to Fear Podcast at gmail.com. So, Luke, thank you for joining me. Where can people hear you and talk to you, talk or hear you talk more? You can hear me on 41 episodes of Nothing to Fear, nice. as well as 75 episodes of Really True Fiction. Hmm. And you can download Really True Fiction wherever you downloaded this one. Alex, what about that, you? That is correct. Can, pe- can people hear you anywhere else? No. <laughs> Nowhere. No. Unfortunately. Unfortunately. I think, I think once a week is, is, is good enough. You don't need to hear me anymore. <laughs> once a week is good enough for, for Alex to, to be heard. I could, I could hear Alex every single day of my life, and it would, it would be not enough. If you want to follow me and hear me talk about non-horror movie stuff, but mostly transition stuff, I'm over on Instagram at Billy by Design. I before E when spelling Billy, and there are underscores between the words. And yeah, thank you so much, Alex and Luke, for joining me. Thanks, Alex, for writing the music for the theme song that we use. Thank you, Katie Rogers and Madison, for the artwork, and Katie for doing such great cover art for all the episodes. Yes. Thank you so much. Next week, we are going to be watching... Oh, no, I forgot. What are we watching next week? I wrote it down, and then I forgot. Here, I'll sign it out. I'll sign it out. Okay, two words. Uh... (laughs) It's The Conjuring. We're watching The Conjuring. There we go. (laughs) (laughs) So we're getting... Just a little bit of Discord charades. (laughs) Discord charades, as heard on a a podcast. The best. (gasps) Frodo Baggins! I am not a conjurer of cheap tricks! I'm not trying to rob you. Oh. I think it was Bilbo Baggins. Yeah, it was Bilbo Was it Bilbo? Yeah, well. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Inspired by true events, of course. Inspired (laughs) by true events. (laughs) That's it. Thank you so much for, for joining us. Remember, folks, they're just movies. There's nothing to fear. And he was in Triple X State of the Union. Oh, that's what I remember. (laughs) That's that's it. I always thought that movie was called 30 State of the Union. (laughs) Yeah, you also got a lot of 30 websites, eh? (laughs) Motherboy 30. (laughs) 